Hey y'all, my name is Bailey Bronner and you are listening to Ask a Pastor Anything, a space for questions, exploration, and curiosity. Each episode, I sit down with a new or old friend to discuss a question you all wanted to hear about. Welcome to Ask a Pastor Anything. Let's get into it. Hi friends, welcome to another episode of Ask a Pastor Anything. Today is an exciting episode. Again, we have uh, my internet friend, Corey, here. And uh, I'm gonna ask, Corey, will you introduce yourself, tell people uh, who you are, your pronouns, and a little bit about yourself? Sure thing. I'm Corey Pasiniak. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. Currently, I'm the pastor of Mary Magdalene Apostle Catholic Community here in San Diego, which is a non-canonical Catholic church. Um, I was ordained through the Roman Catholic Women Priests Movement, becoming their first non-binary and trans individual to be ordained. And I focus a lot on trans and queer inclusion in aspects of church life. And my side job is completing a PhD in queer and trans studies and religion up at uh, University of California, Riverside. Wow, that's a lot. So um, I was <laughs> I was going to ask what you do for fun, and I don't know if that still applies here. It doesn't sound like you have a lot of time, but what do you do for fun when you have time? Fun consists of board games, uh, camping, road trips, or things that used to be road trips. You know, those are a little, look a little different right now. Um, but yeah, a lot of outdoorsy stuff when we get the chance. So what's something in the San Diego area that I have to do as far as outdoorsy stuff? If you haven't hiked Torrey Pines, I would highly recommend that, um, especially, you know, just at sunset, great views, nice beaches, uh, but do be careful of the tide. And so the thing I learned moving to San Diego was always check the tide chart when you're on the beach because you <laughs> might walk somewhere and not be able to get back. Good to know. Wow. Yeah. The more you know. That's perfect. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Corey, for being here today and um, for, yeah, for taking some time to respond to a question. Um, The question today, as we get into it, uh, comes from one of you all who are listening. And again, if you want to submit your question for a future episode, you can do that. All the information for that is in the description of the podcast. Um, But today our question is, what has the process of implementing change looked like in your context? And so I'm going to ask uh, Corey if you would respond to that first, and then we'll just sort of see where the conversation goes. Uh, What has the process of implementing change looked like in your context? So implementing change is something that I think I've struggled with a bit in ministry, in part because the ministry, so before this job, all of my ministry experience had been in more university chaplaincy settings where it's entirely student-led and student-driven and the students want change and you just kind of run with it as long as it's acceptable by university standards. And in sort of a parish context, becoming the pastor and having that authority, but my community is very non-hierarchical and believes in democratic government. So they're like, well, we don't want a pastor just come in and change everything right away. But we do want you to you know, grow the church and all these things that people expect when they hire someone who's like under 40. And <laughs> truth. Um, and so one of the things was that I wanted was how to make our community more queer and trans inclusive, because we've always been, I guess, I mean, the language that I hear most often is open and affirming. Um, you know, we, but yet when I came here, like one of the, I was like, well, there's still some work that could be done around 
trans inclusion and trans visibility and everything. And so, but trying to work with language and I was like, well, we can just jump to inclusive language all the time and just push the boundaries of that even more. And then people just kind of had no idea. So for me, there was like a lot of one-on-one conversations that had to happen first. And then, you know, kind of small group conversations that people understood why changing some language that they thought was inclusive, but exclude non-binary folks, why that was an important thing for people. And, you know, that we had a whole, lots of discussions around the inclusion of the word queer, because for some folks that was still an offensive term. And, you know, for me, that's a part of my identity and it's what I study. And so there was just this, this tension around, can we use that word? And for me, it was like, oh, well, if I say that I do queer theology in my bio, that's kind of like waving a rainbow flag outside the church because mm-hmm. you don't really say that you do queer theology if you're not affirming. Your identity as pastor, um, how does that, how is that in relationship with your church? Like, do you feel like you, like your theology is like front and center representing the church or do you feel like it's separate or do you think it's like a mixture of both does that make sense yeah I think it's definitely a mixture of both in our context um and sometimes I've said that you know if I could if I ran the whole show I might do things differently whether it's like a bit an aspect of worship or something else and someone goes but you're the pastor you do run the show I was like well not exactly um (laughs) and I think for me being pastor is about equipping the saints you know, and the saints being the community that you're serving. And it's very much that servant leadership model. So while I'd have a hard time serving a community where our theologies are completely opposed to one another. So if I ended up in a congregation or a community that wasn't open and affirming, I mean, I probably wouldn't take that call and they probably wouldn't hire me. Um, But, you know, when there's overlap, I think there's growing edges to use like CPE talk of where, you know, where our, our theologies overlap and the areas where they differ. And so how we can challenge and help each other to grow. And I think that's being sensitive to those areas and not sort of just coming in and bulldozing and being, you know, like, oh, well, I'm here now, so I'm going to change all these things in the first three weeks. You know, that I think just causes discord and sort of a rebellion and just like, well, what are you doing? This is the way we've always done things which is my least favorite phrase in ministry. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, me too. What, like, how do you, how do you make that discernment then? Like when you came in, what, what did your process look like in, in discerning what might need to change? Or like, I can, I can understand how it's difficult to make that correlation between I want I'm building this community how I want it to be. Like if I was a worshiper or something like that versus I think that the health of the community needs this thing to shift. And, and maybe there's, you know, like some stylistic things that like, you're like, I'm not into this, but the it's important to the community and you leave those things aside. But how do you um, decide, how do you decide if something should change or what to change? So I think for me, it's a matter of, or to get to like that, when I arrived at the community, it was about um, my own integrity, kind of, of could I be my whole self in this community as it was? And so that, like, that was essentially me deciding if I could accept this call, um, 
knowing that there were some differences or what I saw as like a, I don't know if I would be, if this would be a place that would really cause me to thrive spiritually. Um, and so then in terms of the, the discerning, like what to change or how to change, one of my things that I've always done is I don't change anything for the, for the first three months or, you know, for a set amount of time to just go and experience the community as it is and see what I can glean fr- from it. Um, because I think that being able to see the needs of the community is important and trying to find that balance of like, what are my desires and what are the community's needs? And then where can I, you know, nudge or lead the community or help them go, I guess. Cause you know, you never want to be the pastor that just kind of leads blindly and hopes people are following them because that usually doesn't work too well. Um, but I think it's a lot of communication is key. I did what, what do we call like listening sessions? Um, so the majority of my first year in my community was spent meeting in one-on-one or with small groups of parishioners to just hear like what brought them to our community. What do they love most about our community and what they, what would they change if they could change something or improve something? Um, and very few people actually said, Oh, let's make it more trans inclusive. But you know, that was one of my things. And I'm like, I think this desire will help us more fully live into our call as a community. And it didn't seem, you know, opposed to any of the core values of our community. Yeah, absolutely. How, how has your, your church community changed since you've been there? Has the, the makeup, I guess, shifted? I I can, I know that there are, um, like we were talking about before, like expectations on, you know, somebody's identity as a pastor, um, what, you know, what makes them, you know, the young, uh, queer, whatever, uh, whatever you are, when you go into a church space, there's an expectation that, oh, well, now we're going to attract all of the young queer people to the church. And like, obviously, that's not how it works. But have you seen anything like that? Like, have you seen shift in the makeup of your congregation um, since, you know, day one? So some some small shifts, um, you know, we've had three uh, trans youth come out as trans and be affirmed by the community, um, which our average Sunday attendance is around 65 to 70. So three out of that is huge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that the community was hoping when they hired me is, you know, oh, all of a sudden we'll have, you know, more young people and more families. And I was like, well, <laughs> it doesn't quite work that way. I was like, there's a lot more that goes into that. And I think learning, you know, my first priority, as I told them, was to care for the people we have, you know, and not because I was like, if our community isn't healthy as a community, it's hard to focus on growing a community before you take care of your your own needs, right? Which is the whole doctor, heal thyself kind of, you know, pastoral care. If you're not being taken care of, you can't help other people. And so... I really wanted to make sure that our community was not overtaxing itself and, you know, was in its, in the healthiest form it could be before we really kind of launched growth things because growth hadn't been a huge priority for several years before I came there. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, well, we're aging, so we should grow and we should get more young people. And I was like, well, this is all great, but, you know, it's not going to happen overnight, right? So my 
my goal has been to sort of strengthen it at the roots before we can kind of expand. And that's, you know, some people are like, well, but we can be, we can grow and be healthy at the same time and they're intertwined. And so I think some of it is just terminology that, you know, you come out of seminary and you have all these, you know, church talk words and people don't always understand what you mean by that. And so learning to translate ideas into concepts that people can understand, you know, has been a challenge at times. But overall, in terms of the changes that I've seen, you know, we've sort of gotten a bigger presence in pride. Um, well, we, we marched every year for um, for several years, but now we have with trans youth coming out, you know, that sort of put us up on visibility a little bit more. Uh, we're in talks with community members about forming some sort of trans spiritual support group sort of to supplement what's being done by like trans family services and the center in San Diego of kind of just having a place where people can bring gender and spirituality together in a sort of support group and, you know, a couple other projects like that. But our congregation is mostly older folks. And so trying to figure out what their needs are as opposed to what their desires are for the community has been an act of, you know, discernment and just sitting together and listening and all of that. Yeah. What is the, what is the difference between the two, I guess, like generally as your, as your congregation between the, the needs and the, and the desires? Right. So I think, you know, um, so our community is kind of a unique place because we're not, so by, by being a non-canonical Catholic church, like we're not under the Roman Catholic diocese or anything like this. So we're we're like a congregational Catholic church is how I explain it to some Protestant folks because we're entirely self-sufficient in terms of budget and governance. But that also means, you know, we don't get help and we don't have as many folks being, you know, like, Oh, my parents, you know, went here and therefore I'm going to go here. And most of our membership is former Catholics. So people who have become disillusioned with the Roman Catholic church for some reason or other, um, usually around gender equality or, you know, um, LGBTQ inclusion or something like that. So we don't have like a natural membership and we're not like a neighborhood church. We're very much a destination parish. And I think for a lot of our folks, there's this desire to be, to, to have, to succeed and to have a legacy, which, you know, I think many people want in their communities of faith of like, Oh, I helped build this because we're only 15 years old as a community. And they're like, so I want it to survive. So I want, you know, it to have, you know, staff that's paid and I want you know it to be big and prosperous and you know have a thriving youth ministry and a thriving this and a thriving that and a lot of our ministries have been entirely volunteer led and one of the challenges that comes with that is that you get volunteer burnout after a while and so trying to navigate that balance of you know perhaps what we need is to simplify some things because I think when I came in, we had 70% of our average Sunday attendance was volunteering in some way, shape, or form in ministries in the church, which on one hand is great, but on the other, it also takes a toll that, you know, people might be stretched to their limits and might be kind of being like, well, I don't want to do that anymore. I've done that for 10 years. I'm kind of tired doing that. And so trying to find ways to sort of share the load and really just streamline and communicate about like what what are we doing and what are we doing well and what's really working and how can we you know just be more effective in what 
we want and what helps us to grow organically instead of just being so focused on like, oh, how do we recruit new members and all of that? Yeah, for sure. That is a, it's, it's a challenging thing. And especially for people who are, for leaders who are like of that type A persuasion where it's like, like we talked about before, like it would be easier sometimes to just do everything ourselves, but that's not how community works. And that's not how, you know, it's sustained and things like that. And like at the end of the day, I mean, I don't know what language y'all use in your church, but we say that it's, you know, it's not my church as the pastor. Like it's, it's y'all's church in the congregation because I'm going to come and go. You all are the ones who have to be here, you know, for the, for the pieces to be picked up if things go awry or, or live into that legacy for the rest, you know, of the church's life, that kind of thing. And I guess it reminds me of like, it it makes me think about vision and um, Mm. the, the role the role often of a pastor is to cast some sort of vision for for the church and often we're expected to do that i remember um both of the all three of the churches that i've pastored at the very first like introduction meeting that was what they said you know oh can you what's your vision for us as a church and and that's like you were talking about that earlier like it's hard to make claims about what a community needs if you don't belong to it and if you yeah. know the, you know, you know the stats that are on a piece of paper that may or may not be accurate that someone gives you, um, it's hard to do that. So I, I guess as you, I mean, you learn more, you build relationships, all of that stuff. What does the visioning process from there look like? So I think like one of the things you said that really resonated with me is that it's hard to come in and just be like, this is, you know, my vision for the church, Right. Because I think we, we each have our visions for what any church would mm-hmm. look like. And yet, this, like you, I think this is a question that was asked, you know, in interviews and things like that of, oh, what do you envision for us? And I was like, I barely know you. Um, it's like on a first date asking, you know, oh, where do you see us in 10 years? <laughs> like, I don't really know. <laughs> Can we get through coffee first? Um, but I think as as I've gotten to know my community you know, that the process of visioning, it's easier for me to imagine what the community needs. And so I think that that over, there's more overlap of, you know, my vision and the community's vision now of, you know, yeah, like I too would want us to have a healthy youth program and, you know, families. And one of the things that I would love to see us is have an active role in the community because so I asked a question that I forget where I heard this, probably at some church conference or other, um, or on Twitter, where we hear everything. But it was, if if your church ceased to exist tomorrow, or if your community or ministry, whatever, would anyone notice? And so, you know, besides the community members who are directly involved and so that was you know, a couple of folks <laughs> did not take kindly to me asking that question at an annual meeting of our church. Um, but to me, it's not sort of a, a cynical kind of question, but it's really a, if we're not serving folks outside of our immediate circle, then, you know, maybe we have some room for improvement because I don't think the church exists simply to serve the needs of its own members. I think part of the call of a church, you know, is to serve just everybody. 
And so what does that look like? And, and also knowing that, you know, we're a tiny community that's mostly over the age of 65. So the ways in which we can serve are limited. And so some of that is purely financial because that's an area where we, we have resources. But it's, you know, and we're trying to, we're like, we're trying to do a, um, join with like the, the feeding the hungry at the parking lots with Jewish family services. And then the Corona pandemic hit. And all of a sudden I'm like, well, the number of volunteers we have who are not at risk is about like two out of 20 who signed up. So, you know, that project didn't make sense for us anymore, like in this time right now. But I think, you know, trying to figure out how to look outward as well as inward. I think that's sort of where the visioning goes for me is what is your, what is your impact on the wider community? Because I think on one, we're really good at being like, a home for disenfranchised Catholics and folks who want more LGBTQ inclusion in the Catholic church and want women's ordination and ordination of folks of all genders and sexualities as like, we've got that down and we've got liturgical experimentation down. I was like, now let's kind of branch out to be like, how can we serve the community? Cause I think that's where it is. And that to me is more important than like, Oh, do we have an endowment big enough to survive for the next 10 years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's very much, I mean, Jesus, Jesus's teaching talk and all of that that you're saying, like, we're not, we're not here to serve, you know, the religious elite or the people that are inside already. Rather, it's about like being the church for the world and that kind of thing. And um, I wonder, something that I struggle with in my ministry is, um, or something I have to be intentional about working through is the reality that the reality that not everybody's going to be happy and the reality that people will leave, right? And people will leave because of me. Um, and that's that's been a hard thing for me to, to wrap my mind around. I remember um, the first person that left the church because of uh, a, ser- a sermon I, I preached or um, or like just, just something about who I was like, didn't, didn't strike them in a good way. And they, you know, wanted things how they were before and that kind of thing. And, and that it's hard to not take that personally when the reasoning for somebody leaving or somebody not um, appreciating what you do is a personal reason. Um, And, and I can, I can see how, I, I think that sometimes if we are the, the sole person to be expected to cast some sort of vision to to look forward and see what the church really needs or wants or um, has to have to survive, it can give us a lot of backlash. Um, is that something that you have encountered? And if it is, how have you how do you manage that? Oh man. <laughs> um... So I'm going to give a little backstory here because I think it, it fleshes out my answer a bit. Um, so our community was founded 15 years ago and one of the co-founders of our community is still an active member of our community. She's now a bishop in our region. And then, you know, we had, we had another pastor. And so I'm only the third pastor to ever serve this community. And I'm the first one that they hired from outside the community. So when I took this job, it was this whole cult of not like cult of personality but like there was this attachment to pastoral leadership coming from within the community 
And so, you know, when I came, it was like, oh, well, that's not the way the previous two folks have done it, right? Or that's not, like, you're not so-and-so. And I was like, I know, I'm not so-and-so. I'm Corey. Like, you hired me because I was Corey, not because I was the previous pastor. And I mean, the first, I guess, like, six to 12 months were incredibly hard because of that, because I felt like I could never live up to the expectations. And some folks left um, because I was not so-and-so. And, you know, and I just, I mean, I definitely had lots of days where I was like, what did I do in moving from Texas to San Diego for this job? Like, I don't, like, this is crazy. Why did I do this? Um, (laughs) Because it's hard. And, you know, like, I didn't have any connections in San Diego, so I didn't have really a support network outside of the community. And I'm just like, look, I've the, I had people from the community be, be like, oh, I'll be your friend and support network. I was like, that breaks certain boundaries that I want to keep. <laughs> um, you know, like I I don't know, like challenges that I'm facing I'm like, are not always best shared with members of the community. And it was just, it was hard. Um, and I think, you know, I think some folks left because they didn't like the way I did things or they, you know, because simply because I wasn't so-and-so. And I think, you know, talking through it with some mentors, you know, there's, I can never be so-and-so. All I can be is the best version of me that I can be. And some days that means, you know, my sermons are, might be great. And some days that means it's been a really rough week and my sermon might be spliced together and off the cuff and not so great. And that's okay. You know, and um, the two previous pastors were both biblical scholars, and I'm definitely not a biblical scholar. So, you know, my sermons have a different tone. And that's like some people have have become members because they're like, oh, my God, I absolutely adore your sermons. And other folks are like, well, I kind of miss the other ones. <laughs> I'm like, well, I, I'll do what I can. But, you know, I think um, part of it is what we talked about earlier of, you know, you can't please everyone. And sometimes I have to repeat that to myself a lot and sometimes I repeat that to to my parishioners and community members of just you know when they're like why are we singing this song I don't like the song I was like oh we sing a lot of songs that I don't like but you know I mean and which is a, which is a slight exaggeration but you know it's like some of some of my favorite church songs we never sing you know and that's okay because you know I think part of part of community I think is not always getting your way um, of, you know, that, that give and take and compromise and not compromise in the way where, where nobody's happy, but compromise in that you learn to take joy in other people's happiness, you know? So like there, I forget, there were some songs that I didn't know or that I had no feelings for. Maybe I slightly thought they were not my favorite at the beginning and but they're so essential in my in our community life that now I'm like this is the best song ever and not because I like it personally necessarily but just because when our community sings it they're so full of life and everyone is into it and I'm like it doesn't matter if I don't think the song has much merit like watching you know 65 folks sing and dance to the song is amazing and you can definitely feel the spirit when that's happening and so I think it's been a lot of reminding myself that I'm not going to make everyone happy 
that that is okay. I can only do the best that I can do every day. And some days that will not seem like a lot. And some days, you know, maybe they're really great days. Um, But I think it's part of that is, you know, learning to be gentle with yourself and not take things personally. But we had community members leave. And so we were very, um, the community was kind of focused on growth for a while. And so they're like, well, we want to get in touch with all the members who have left and see why or, you know, what we can do to bring them back. (laughs) Just like... Okay, as someone who has left churches at times, sometimes you leave for a reason and you really don't want to go back. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I kind of felt a little bit, you know, in this odd place of wanting to make sure I was like, we have to respect people's right to leave. You know, and I think a hard thing for our entire community to learn was that people love our church a lot who are members but our church may not be the perfect place for everyone for a variety of reasons, you know? And I think that is something that can be tough if you're someone who, you know, loves your church and thinks it's wonderful. Um, This is more, I think, as a community member, because I think most pastors have some um, perspective about this. But, like, as a community member, you're just like, oh, my God, my church is the best thing ever. And then you don't understand why it might not be the perfect place for other people. That perspective feels really important to me as we're thinking about um, that that growth mindset and and the the change that accompanies that growth mindset when we're doing it right is like we can't just pretend a conversation that that I'm having right now is is that the church is the church the ten to eleven on Sunday morning type church is not the way that everybody experiences God anymore. And Mm -hmm. that perspective like feels, it feels really urgent um, now as we are, you know, in this, in the midst of this like reformation and in the United Methodist church, we're going through like a messy divorce right now. Um, (laughs) Yeah. To say the least. And, uh, and for, I, I think especially as a queer person, it is very, it's very um, obvious to me that that's the case, that the church is bigger than a building because I found communities where I experience God way more fully and consistently, um, you know, even online than I do in, in a sanctuary all the time. And, and that uh, to, to help a congregation who really appreciates the style and the tradition and everything associated with that more traditional worship service to help them to understand that, okay, this is great for you, and we need to understand that it's not it's not what everybody wants, and so we need to do something else, is a, a tough a tough balance, I think. Yeah, and I think you know, um, so you know, because you were talking about how the like the ten to eleven church experience, you know, might not be the way of the future, right? And um, I think so. I spent eight years, a little more, worshiping in an Episcopal church. And, you know, then my time in seminary was very ecumenical, which I absolutely adore. And I think it's made me a better pastor. And when our community said, oh, we want more young people, I was like, you have to realize that gaining more young people or, or, you know, increasing membership might look radically different. You know, so it might be that we develop like a theology on tap kind of group or, you know, a Taizai evening prayer group that doesn't come to Sunday services, you know, and 
would that be okay for you? And they're like, but why wouldn't they come to Sunday services? <laughs> it's like, because that doesn't, you know, I mean, it doesn't resonate for everyone or for whatever reason. And I think it's really tough for folks, and who I'm sure you're dealing with this, of for folks for whom this is the way church is and has been and should be forever, to realize that there are other ways of being church. And I think that that mental shift is just a huge leap for any community to make. Um, and for a lot of individuals, it's, you know, and I don't, I don't know if you've had any success in getting them to sort of shift their thinking around that, but I know, like, cause I've had the same experiences as you that church doesn't always require a building. And like right now, like I'm dreaming of, Oh, since everything is online right now, maybe now's the time to like build some new online, like, queer you know catholic communities or something like that and i'm like Corey, you have enough stuff on your plate don't don't try to like build something new right now and i'm like but um so i'm curious like have you had any luck in or anything that's worked well in terms of shifting that that mindset around what church looks like i'm an enneagram three and so i'm very achievement driven and it's hard for me to understand when I succeed at something, I think. Um, but I, because I'm always like, oh, well, I didn't do this and I didn't do this. And this growth isn't where I like to see it kind of thing. So I have to check myself in that. But the, I, I have found as much as I don't think that this is like a healthier, sustainable practice, I found like that, um, that almost like bulldozing type mentality has been helpful behind the scenes. And I don't mean bulldozing over you know, other people's feelings or ideas are not running or not um, respecting people's opinions when I ask for feedback, but just listening for God in the midst of my call and my work and my gifts. And um, when I feel God speaking, just going after it, right? And and that, I guess the, um, whatever that phrase is, it's like, do, do it now and apologize later or whatever or ask for for what is it yes. don't ask for better, permission. better to, yeah better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission or something yeah yeah so i think that that's been important but i also think that like when i trust my call and a big part of my call is creating spiritual spaces for people who've been hurt by the church that especially queer people um that has given so much life to both my ministry and the church um, in ways that maybe they don't have the language to understand when it isn't like into fruition or whatever. But we um, started a community just on my own with with two of my friends called The Voyage. And it's a, a place, a, a digital and online kind of combination space for uh, people of faith, um, queer people of faith. And it's been a place for deep conversations where we ask questions that people aren't asking in the church. And it's been a place where there's community and where we can talk about hard things. And also that our queerness is like the least interesting thing about us in a religious space, which is not common at all. Um, but we've, we've seen so much life come from that thing that used to be um, just like a, a side project that I was passionate about because I needed community and, I've been slowly introducing that to the community, to my my congregation, because it is, at the end of the day, a ministry of the church. It is another form of worship. Um, mm -hmm. 
And so finding like slow and tactful ways to say like, hey, here's all the work we've been doing and here's the fruit that's come from that. That's been really good to sort of guide to guide that conversation in a way that doesn't feel like I'm stepping on people's toes or trying to like change everything all at once, but still says, hey, let me help you to understand what this what this thing has has done for the folks who are involved in it. Let me have them tell you why this is important, right? And I tell uh, the story of uh, our first night, we didn't know who's going to come and we had like eight folks who came and we meet in the in one of the rooms in the church and uh, just these three random people like said, hey, come to this church and we're going to talk about queer stuff. And uh, there was this girl who came and and I was introducing myself and talking about, you know, I was like, oh, well, this is a reconciling church and here's what that means. It means we, you know, affirm all genders, sexual orientations, blah, 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 the whole thing. And then I said, you know, I'm the pastor. And uh, she was like, hold on. So I have a question. Are we allowed to be here right now? And I was like, what? And she's like, are you going to get in trouble for having us here? And I was like, hold on, what? Like, I was so confused because it it doesn't even strike me, right? Like, are they going to fire me as a as a queer clergy person who who runs this church? Are they going to fire me for having queer people walk into a building. Like the amount of religious trauma that I don't have to experience on a regular basis is just like, that speaks to me for the need. And I, I tell that story to, I told that story to my congregation and there was just this, this like, wow, right. This, this response of like, oh, okay. Like I didn't understand the need until you named it like that. Right. And so for me, like personal, story and relationship has been the key to implementing change, especially change that is um, tricky to navigate or, or scary in the first place. And I think that's definitely something that is key because I think it's, it's that making it personal and human, right? So if you try to talk about, you know, queer, queer justice on like a large scale, you know, in vague terms, folks won't necessarily get it. Or they might get it, but they're like, well, what does that have to do with me? You know, I'm not queer. I'm not trans. I don't have anything to do with that. Um, But similarly, you know, I think I shared a story with my community once of how I had applied for a job with um, the Anglican Church of Canada. It was sort of like a ministry internship, and then you get ordained at the end of it, kind of like you serve in an area that's understaffed. And during the process of the interview, the person said, well, I'm not sure, you know, like, we have no problems with you, but I'm not sure that the people are ready for you. And I was like, I am sorry, what? And of <laughs> course my res- my resume is, you know, like a, a lavender resume, as they say, like I volunteered and worked with, you know, with GLAD, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, you know, Trans Episcopal. Like, it's very clear that if I'm not queer and trans, I'm a huge ally um, and cutting that stuff out of my resume leaves very large holes. Um, and they're like, well, you know, I talked to the Bishop and we just weren't sure if this would work, but we said, well, we'll, we'll interview you anyway, but I just don't know if the people are, are ready for you. And I was like, what does that even mean? Right. And basically it turned out that they weren't sure they could have a queer and trans person as clergy, even though there were no rules against it, but they just weren't quite sure if the, folks in this area would 
would embrace that. And I'm just like, but you never even gave them a chance, right? You never gave them a chance to meet, you know what I mean? I think that's, when I came to, to Mary Magdalene, you know, I wanted, like, a lot of the gender stuff weighed heavily on me of just making sure that our language was trans-inclusive and that we had room for non-binary folks in our community. And folk, and there were some people who were like, well, help us to get to know you first before making this just, like, an issue that you're throwing in. And then finally, you know, there were, like, a lot of... Um, emotional sermons um which is not my favorite style but sometimes you know it's what you do and sharing of like personal stories over conversations and small groups and I think that really got people to believe that it was their issue as much as my issue you know so it wasn't just oh the new pastor has a queer agenda um which I mean is a great thing sometimes but it was more of like the no we love our pastor, we support our pastor, and, you know, their queer agenda is our queer agenda. Um, and we want our community to be an affirming place. We want our community to be a place where no one has that feeling of, am I allowed to be here, right? So, you know, we did like a rituals of renaming for some of our trans youth um, and blessings of that. And, you know, folks don't always get names and pronouns right. Um, and we're working on that with uh, with folks. But you know, just the fact that we had that space in our community and people were like, I didn't realize how moving this would be. And I was just like, yeah, because it's, you know, and part of me is like, because it's not your reality. So they never, it doesn't enter into their minds that this could be transformative. And yet for, I think some things like, you know, being able to have that spiritual support group or being able to have your church recognize your sexuality or your gender can be transformational and you know a matter of like life for some queer and trans folks that you know if it's not your reality it's hard to understand but making those stories known really helps a community I think be open and receptive to it um, because I think that's when you get that whole oh yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna stand up for this and you know then of course it comes out of the woodwork that like half our congregation knows someone who knows someone whose child or grandchild is trans or is questioning their gender or something. And I'm like, see, this isn't as crazy as you thought it was, <laughs> but you know, it's the baby steps. Yeah. That's so good. All that. I have a lot to, to chew on after this uh, for sure. I would you for like three more hours. Um, but um, as we start to wrap up, uh, Corey, I want to ask you the question that we're asking everybody uh, since the podcast is called Ask a Pastor Anything, if you could ask a pastor anything, what would you ask? I think I would ask what has been the most challenging or unforeseen thing about ministry and how did you get through it? That's a great one. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here and for taking your time and just for all the work that you do. Um, I think you really make an impact and I'm thankful to share this this ministry context with you um, and be friends on the internet too. Um, can you can you let us know, Corey, where people can, can find you or your work? Sure. Um, I'm on Twitter at kpaciniak, which we'll throw the link in because spelling my last name can be it. <laughs> tricky for folks um 
And our church is at mmacc.org. And we're here in San Diego, but we are live streaming and Zooming our worship nowadays. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm also on Facebook if you want to find me there. But in lots of places, I'm pretty easy to find on the internet, um, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all those things. So, Perfect. Well, thank you again for being here and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Um, but we keep doing it. Sure. Um, I'm on Twitter at kpaciniak, which we'll throw the link in because spelling my last name can be a, <laughs> tricky for folks. Um, and our church is at mmacc.org. And we're here in San Diego, but we are live streaming and Zooming our worship nowadays. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm also on Facebook if you want to find me there. But in lots of places, I'm pretty easy to find on the internet, um, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all those things. So. Thank you. You too. Thanks so much for listening, friends. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review or financially support through my Patreon. If you have a question you'd like to see in a future episode, you can send a voice memo or send a DM to at Ask a Pastor Anything on Instagram. You can also connect with me directly at Bailey N. Bronner on Twitter and Instagram. See you next episode, friends. You are so loved. <laughs>